ministry of the word this afternoon is from Reverend George van Popta, minister of the Canadian Reformed Church in Ottawa. And he chose as text Acts 2, verse 1 to 4. Let's read that one more time. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let's listen to the word of God and let's sing in response of the sermon, Psalm 51, the stanzas 4 and 5. <clears throat> Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, how can a church, a congregation of Christ, stay faithful to the Lord? Sadly, it often happens that churches once faithful go astray. Church history is a vivid testimony to this. Already very early in the 200s and 300s, strange doctrines crept in and had to be refuted. The ecumenical councils were held to counter those who denied the divinity of God the Son and of God the Holy Spirit. The Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed come out of this context. And then, throughout the period of history we call the Middle Ages, the church also, the church, although it looked nice on the outside, was decaying inside. There was unbiblical doctrine and practice. Then the Lord brought reformation to the church. And if we look back at our own recent church history, there were the liberations of 1834, 1886, and 1944, where the false doctrine for practice was rejected, where the Lord in his goodness brought reformation. Again the question, how does a church stay faithful to the Lord? How as a congregation? And then we can also ask that question about each of us individually. How do I keep my life on track? How do I keep myself from going astray, either in doctrine or in conduct? There's only one way for the church to stay faithful to its head, Jesus Christ. There is only one way for you personally to stay faithful to your Lord Jesus Christ, and that is by being filled with the Holy Spirit. We are not talking about the ability to speak in tongues or do miraculous things power healing or foretell the future. Unfortunately, that is what many people mean when they talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? Being filled with the Holy Spirit means having your life directed toward the Lord Jesus Christ and the great things God has done in and through Christ. That is what the Holy Spirit loves to do to direct our lives towards Christ as a congregation collectively and as individual believers. The Holy Spirit takes the law of God and writes it upon our hearts. 
when the Holy Spirit fills us as a congregation and as believers, then he makes us obey the commandments of God the Father. He makes us serve faithfully our, God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Today is Pentecost. We read about the first Christian Pentecost in Acts 2. Pentecost is a celebration, a festival of fulfillment. As a Christian church on Pentecost, we will speak about how the Holy Spirit fulfilled the Old Testament festival of Pentecost, how the Holy Spirit filled the church, how the Holy Spirit fills the life, the lives of individual children of God. Pentecost, a day, a festival of fulfillment, a triple fulfillment. The theme of this sermon is Pentecost is the festival of fulfillment. The Holy Spirit fulfilled the Old Testament Pentecost. The Holy Spirit filled the Church of Christ. The Holy Spirit fills individual believers. Pentecost was an Old Testament festival. One of the annual festivals Israel had to keep. In the Old Testament it is called the Feast of Weeks. It is called that because it was celebrated seven weeks after Passover. In the New Testament times it was called Pentecost. That comes from the Greek word 50. That refers to how this festival was celebrated on the 50th day, seven weeks after Passover. Pentecost and Feast of Weeks, two names for the same festival. We call it Pentecost. Pentecost was a harvest festival. It marked the end of the grain harvest. At Pentecost, Israel would rejoice because of the generosity of their God, that he had given them a full harvest. They would celebrate that God, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery, into a rich land flowing with milk and honey, they would celebrate that God gave them food to eat, that he provided them with everything they needed. This was one of the themes of the Pentecost festivals and celebrations. Thankfulness to God for a good harvest. But it had another theme. There was something else they remembered at Pentecost. What they also remembered was the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Even today, Pentecost is the day Jews universally accept as the day when the Lord gave his people the law following Moses' descent from Mount Sinai. At first, we might wonder what the connection is between these two themes, harvest and the giving of the law of God, but there is a connection. God had brought them out of slavery and misery in Egypt. He was bringing them to a land, to a good land with good harvest and good food to eat. These are the good and wonderful things God did for his people. And then he said, you must obey my law. You must keep my commandments. You are my people. I saved you and gave you good gifts. Now you show that you are my people by keeping my law. In this way, God established a covenant with the people of Israel. He gave them good things. First, he showed them his grace and love, and then he demanded from them obedience and loyalty. 
Every covenant has two parts, a promise, a promise and a demand. Exodus 19 shows us the connection between the gathering of the harvest in a rich, plentiful land and the giving of the law of God. There we read about the Lord God meeting the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. There at Mount Sinai, God gave them his law. Notice when this happened. Exodus 19 verse 1 says, It was on the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone up out of the land of Egypt. Israel worked with a lunar calendar. After that, the Lord gave the Ten Commandments to his people. We do not want to get into all sorts of numbers and calculations, but as it works out, the Lord gave his law to Israel seven weeks after Passover. From Exodus 12, we know that Israel was to slaughter the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the new moon. The third new moon would be six weeks later. And then during the following week, God gave his law. The festival of Pentecost is rooted in God's giving of his law to his people. He called them to obey his law in thankfulness of bringing them out of Egypt and onwards to a land flowing of milk and honey. The people together answered confidently, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will show ourselves thankful by obeying the voice of God and by keeping his covenant law. That's what they promised, but they did not keep their promise. The history of Israel since the days of Moses is a litany of broken promises. Even as Moses was coming down from the mountain with the law of God in his hands, the people had turned away from God and worshipped a golden calf. 3,000 people were slain because of that sin. Time after time, they broke God's covenant law. During the time of the judges and then of the kings, again and again, the people of God did not keep the law of God. They proved themselves unfaithful. God was patient, but eventually he made good on the threats of his covenant and sent them into, sent them into exile in Babylon. Yet even as God was sending them into exile because they refused to obey him, he was coming through with the promise of restoration. When God gave his law in the old covenant, it was written on stone. It was external. But in this new covenant, God was promising his people the law would not be something outside of them. God would not once again write the law on tablets of stone. He would write it upon their hearts, and each of them would know God. This new covenant about which God spoke through Jeremiah does not abolish the old covenant. Rather, it fulfills it. The old has met its purpose. It, it brought the people of God to a complete awareness of their sinfulness and of their inability to save themselves. Once that was clear, God would come with a renewed covenant. The special thing about that renewed covenant would be that the Spirit of God would write the law of God upon the hearts of the people of God. 
through Ezekiel the prophet who ministered during the exile, God said even more. Here we have the promise of the New Testament Pentecost. Through Jeremiah and Ezekiel, God promised that he would give his Holy Spirit to his people. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, God would make his people obey him and keep his covenant, his law. First, the Spirit of the law came upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the world. He was full of the power of the Holy Spirit, and he kept the law of God perfectly. He did what the people of God did not do. When God said in Exodus 19, you must obey my law and keep my covenant, then the people said, we will do everything the Lord has commanded us, but they didn't. They, didn't, they did very little of it. When Jesus came into the world, he said, in the words of Psalm 40, I have come to do the will of him who sent me, the will of my Father. And he did, perfectly, flawlessly. He was obedient for us. He died as the Passover lamb for us. He arose from the dead and ascended to heaven. And then, 50 days after he died the death of the Passover lamb, he poured out his Holy Spirit upon us. His Holy Spirit who dwells in us and among us, who dwells in the church of God, who lives in the hearts of believers. He makes us obey the law of God. He motivates us to keep the covenant of God. The Holy Spirit, by coming down from heaven to live within the church of Christ, fulfilled the Old Testament Pentecost. It says that literally in our text, in Acts 2 verse 1, Acts 2 verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost came, the Greek uses the word fulfilled. We could translate when the day of Pentecost was fulfilled. The Holy Spirit fulfilled the, the Old Testament day of Pentecost. The Old Testament Pentecost commemorated the giving of the law that God had given it upon tables of stone. The New Testament Pentecost commemorates that the Holy Spirit writes the law of God upon the tables of our hearts and that he makes us do it to want to do it. On that first Christian Pentecost, 50 days after the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, all the members of the church were gathered together in one place. We know from Acts 1 verse 15 that there were about 120 brothers and sisters. Suddenly a sound came from heaven. It sounded like the rush of a mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. That was the Holy Spirit coming upon the church. The word filled is used in verse 2. The Holy Spirit filled the church. He came to the whole congregation, gathered together. Luke wrote that it sounded like a wind. The Holy Spirit is, in the Bible, compared to the wind. In fact, in Hebrew, the word for wind is also the word for spirit. Wind, spirit, same word. The church was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
the Spirit of God had taken up residence within the congregation. In the time of the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit dwelt in the tabernacle and later in the temple. But that was now over. The curtain was torn. The glory of the Lord had departed. Ikabot. From now on, the Holy Spirit would dwell within the people. The church, the believers in Christ, would be God's temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Before the Lord had ascended to heaven, he said that he would give his church power by sending the Holy Spirit to them. He would give them power to be his church and to obey him, the head of the church. The task he gave them was to witness to him throughout the world, to all nations and in all languages. As you read through the book of Acts, you will find out how active the Holy Spirit was in the early church. The Holy Spirit led the church to be obedient to the commandments of, it, of its head, Jesus Christ. The congregation obeyed his word and proclaimed proclaimed the good news of salvation through faith in him. The early church was a spirit-filled church. What about us? Are we a spirit-filled church, a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means to be obedient to the will of our Lord. It means to conform our life as church of Christ to the word of God, to the word of God. Not to move the old boundary stones, to stand firmly on the foundations once laid by the prophets and apostles, the foundations that has Christ himself as the cornerstone. The Holy Spirit will not lead a church into new truth. There are no such things as new truths. We have the old truth, the old truth which is nothing but the truth, the Bible. And the Holy Spirit wants to establish us as a congregation more and more firmly in this truth, in the truth of God. The Holy Spirit, by dwelling in our midst and by working through the proclamation of the word of God, as it comes to us on the Lord's day, is continually and urgently always leading us back to the word of God. That was the theme of the reformations and liberations of the past, back to the word. There are those today who say that the Holy Spirit might guide us into new insights, insights which might even contradict what the Bible says. One well-known example of recent vintage, the Bible says that the brothers of the congregation are to give leadership in the church by serving in the offices of elder, minister and deacon. But over the past years we have heard that the Holy Spirit has now led the church to see that we must now open the church offices to the sisters of the congregation too. Many who argue in favor of this will admit that the Bible does not allow the sisters to serve in the offices. But they say we must follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in this. After all, they prayed about it. 
This reasoning has a fatal flaw, of course. It forgets that the Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit would never contradict today what he said yesterday. The Holy Spirit will never lead the church into new truths, insights which contradict the old truth he inspired ages ago. The Spirit of Christ is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. Instead, the Holy Spirit leads the church back to the living and refreshing waters of the Word of God. It is as we, as a congregation, stay firmly founded upon the ancient word of the Holy Spirit and not go for something just because it sounds new and nice that we show ourselves to be a Holy Spirit-filled church. This is not a blind conservatism. This is a call to hold to the ancient, unchanging, unshakable word of God. In our church life, we must keep going back to the source, back to the ever-living, ever-enlivening word of God. We need to do that together as a congregation. The elders of the church have a role in this, in ensuring that we as church faithfully hold to the ancient word of God, that we not casually kick aside the old boundary stones. As a body of believers, we all have a role. The matter of education, the matter of educating our children comes into the picture again. Their education needs to be based firmly and soundly upon the ancient word of God. All of life needs to be based upon the word of God. Not least the education of the children and youth. Forming the way our children think is too important to leave that up to philosophies that not only neglected the word of God, but are even hostile to it. Philosophies that are motivated by a spirit other than the Holy Spirit. Let us collectively be a spirit-filled, Christ-directed people, collectively, also individually. Are we individually filled with the Holy Spirit? You see in verses 3 and 4 that the, Holy, that the Holy Spirit did not just come among the whole congregation collectively. He also filled each of them separately. What looked like tongues of fire came and rested upon each of them. Fire is also a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Baptizer John said, that Christ would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Fire purifies, it burns. The Holy Spirit, like a purifying fire, burns sin out in our lives. In verse 4, in verse four the word filled is used again. The Holy Spirit fulfilled the Old Testament day of Pentecost. He filled the church. Now he filled each individual believer. Verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Holy Spirit gave the members of the church the gift of tongues, of being able to speak in foreign languages without having studied them. This was not a special Holy Spirit language, like some say. The unintelligible speaking 
in tongues you hear about today has nothing to do with what happened on the day of Pentecost. The verses 7 to 11 make clear that they were speaking in known languages. The Holy Spirit gave the early church this special and temporary gift so that it would fulfill its tasks of speaking the word of God and of telling the good news of Jesus Christ throughout the world in all the languages of the world. The Holy Spirit gave this miraculous gift in order to give the gospel of Christ a mighty push into the marketplaces and the royal courts of the, of the world. From our knowledge of the church history, it seems the Lord withdrew this gift within about 200 years. By then, the gospel was spreading like wildfire throughout the world. However, even if the Holy Spirit no longer enables us to speak in other languages without having studied them, we still have the task of speaking about the wonderful things God has done for us in Christ Jesus, as verse 11 calls them the wonders of God. God promises each of you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will write the law of God upon our hearts. He will give us new hearts. He will work new obedience in us. He will make us keep the covenant God has established with us. God's people could not keep the law when it was written on external tables of stone. They said they would, but they couldn't. What did God do? Did he change the law? May my people are not obeying the law. I guess I may well change it. No, first he sent his son to obey the law, then he changed the people. He changed us. He wrote the law somewhere else on our hearts. He sent the Holy Spirit into us with the law. The Holy Spirit captured 3,000 for Christ the day he began writing God's law on their hearts. When Moses delivered God's law on tables of stone, he found the people of God worshipping a golden calf and running riot. God slew 3,000 people. On the day of the Holy Spirit, on the day the Holy Spirit wrote the law of God on the hearts of his people, 3,000 came to life and were baptized. Acts 2 verse 41. Let us be living, lively, and livened people filled with the Holy Spirit, directed towards Christ, with the law of God written upon our hearts, so that we do God's will out of love and thankfulness, and not by compulsion. Let us be people who speak about the mighty works, the wonders of God, at home, at work, at school, in our worship, to one another, in the work of evangelism. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by unbelief. Do not quench the Holy Spirit by disobedience. Let us rather be filled with the Holy Spirit, collectively and individually. Then we will be directed the right way towards Christ, and we will have solid groundwork underneath us, the Word of God. Amen.